welcome back to the Trees and Nylon podcast. I'm your host, Trees and Nylon. You can call me Trees. And I'm joined today by the master of ancient technology and the MF co-founder of Story MFG. It is Saeed. Thank you so much for joining today, my man. Thanks for having me, Trees. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> um, so for anyone who might not know, because we're all going to assume that they do know, but just in case someone's like my roommate's listening or something, who are you? What is Story MFG? Um, I'm Saeed Rubey. Me and my wife started Story almost 10 years ago. And Story is a fashion brand. Um, coming to terms with the fact that it's a luxury fashion brand that is um, really focused on um, exploring craft and handwork and the... Uh, um, if it doesn't sound like too hoity-toity, like the intersection between the natural world and our our view on fashion and clothing, mm -hmm. and yeah, and then like about nine hundred other like complicated feelings and thoughts in mm -hmm. between. I love it; it's beautiful. And what does the MFG part mean? Uh, it means manufacturing. Truly, is what it actually means. Okay. We wanted to call the brand story or we wanted to call mm -hmm. a brand a bunch of different things but um we couldn't really think of a way to have to make it stand out if we were gonna if we were gonna sell it so we we me and katie both collect um vintage stuff and a lot of the vintage stuff from the night from like in, in america too but mostly in england it there would often be a brand name and then mfg if it was also a factory that made the stuff so oh. we were like okay well that's a good a good thing to add to a pretty plain word um mm. to make it stand out so yeah story manufacturing and also um as part of collecting vintage and clothing we love the story of clothes and like mm -hmm. a lot of vintage is an art and anything in general is, is desirable because of the story it has and when we're mm -hmm. starting a new brand we're like well we don't have any heritage um so we but we deliberately told the story of every item coming like being manufactured um so it's kind of baked into the name to like be really open about how stuff is manufactured so yeah it was kind of on the nose telling oh, like what it. the brand was <laughs> going to be but yeah it's it's a, it's kind of um something we don't even hear anymore the name um yeah i think it's a pretty bad name to be honest and so does really? Katie, but we've got this far with it <laughs> so yeah i mean it's i love brands with crap names so it is also kind of good but it's not like i think that um i think through the years there have been many times where we will either thought about changing the name or we've realized that we would have done better with a different name like for example mm -hmm. um funding and being taken seriously and all a lot of stuff like that you, you get taken much more seriously as a fashion brand if you're if it's eponymous like if if we had called the brand ktl ruby or side array or something oh. um it just has a different vibe. It seems like people perceive it as more designery. Yeah, of course, yeah. there are outliers, but but it would have, um, yeah. But we love it now. Wow, I love it too. I think it's a really cool brand. It stands out. It's different. That's I like <laughs> that. Thank you for that. Um, so on this podcast, 
the true format is us talking about trees and nylon. Trees, of course, being the outdoors, nylon being clothing. Maybe relate to the outdoors. Probably talk about your brand um, a bunch, but uh, tell me, what do you want to start with? Trees or nylon? Uh, trees. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, yeah. So the way it works is we're going to go through a past, present, future progression. So tell me a little bit about your past with the outdoors. Um. Ooh, um. I don't think that my family are particularly outdoorsy, like in a, a lots of like families are extremely hikey, but mm-hmm. we are very, uh, we're quite more, we're a lot more outdoorsy than most. We always go on camping holidays every summer and spend months camping in France or Spain, or mm. if we were in the Middle East, somewhere there. Um, so, and my father's from Iraq, Iraq, okay. <laughs> and my yeah. mom's Irish. Um, oh, wow. And, <laughs> They're, yeah, they're um, cooking. I know it's sort of parallel, but cooking's always been like a, a thing that's really important, and, and food and bed and stuff. And it's been it's made very obvious to me from the beginning, like where food comes from and from the outdoors and mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And they always placed having an outdoor spaces for us as very high. When I was a teenager, I was like, mm, we should just live in a flat. But now I'm getting older and realizing that they were right. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, we always loved hiking and and being outdoors. And when me and Katie met, um, we started the brand and did all the planning for the brand and continued to do most of it um, during walks. Like it's always hiking, walking, and talking is where we get. I would say like ninety percent of our work done. It's really mm-hmm. really important to us. And um, I think being outdoors is really really important. Um, I've had uh, quite a lot of trouble with my mental health over the years and the the best medicine always seems to involve some kind of outdoor activity mm-hmm. for that kind of stuff so yeah outdoors <laughs> <laughs> wonderful um where in iraq would you go to hike or camp or whatever because i am completely i have no idea on what's great out oh, there well iraq is um the, the, the living living outdoors is much closer to modern society in iraq than it was than it is here in the uk like mm. a lot of people have connections to bedouin roots everybody's really settled i don't want anyone to have, a, have an idea that iraq is like is a bedouin society but um there are still bedouin people um nomadic bedouin people and my mm. like people still feel the effects of it and and have some kind of family history with it um but when it comes to camping, like camping in like the Western sense of it, there isn't that yeah. much goes on because it's so hot, extremely hot. But um, when we were living there, we would go to, we would go on walks to um, sacred sites like Babylon and stuff like that. Yeah. We would, um, we would go a lot with foreign, um, foreign aid workers who mm-hmm. would do, like sponsored walks. I remember one I went on, I think it was to Mosul or something. I was really, really young and um, Doctors Without Borders were doing some kind of walk and they were staying staying with us and we would go on like a long walk and I got so sunburnt that I'm still convinced I've got like a little scar from how sunburnt I was on the back of oh, my wow. neck. Um, but yeah, back in my dad's time, 
when he was my age and younger, the flying wasn't such a big deal. And they were a family that loved driving. So mm-hmm. they would drive from Baghdad to like across the world, even coming as far as the UK. They would drive to Lebanon, they would drive to France, they would drive all over the place. So when he came to the UK and, and I was born and then we spent some time in the UK before we went to the Middle East, that was also what we did. So he would have a camper van and we would drive from the UK to Europe. I think and I mean, we, we didn't drive super far. The furthest I think we got was Croatia, but it was still like a week's drive with a big, heavy camper van and staying mm. camping campsites and stuff. Yeah, I, I sort of went on a tangent, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. Yeah, I think I've seen some very pretty pictures of hiking. I know it's not the Middle East, but hiking in India and in like mm-hmm. Pakistan and like that area. And I wasn't sure if Iraq had similar like mountain ranges or anything yeah they do yeah we do they do uh in more towards the north of iraq Mm. which is uh, like kurdistan type area where it's more mountainous i think the places you're talking about in in india are also more northern like um Mm. areas where it's a little bit bit cooler yeah uh yeah it's beautiful really gorgeous but i haven't been to kurdistan okay talk about the now i guess you talked quite a bit about the past um what's your schedule look like for getting out there these days uh yeah we, we've got we've got a, a kid he's almost two um congratulations so we haven't really been able to go on thank you we haven't been able to go hiking hiking very much but we are outside all the time and use and uh walk do long walks he's only just walking now so it's pretty <laughs> new for him but he also loves walking we just walk and walk and walk and walk and walk we go to we generally like to choose cities and places to visit based on how walkable they are. So we've still not been to LA or anywhere like that. Yeah, I was going to say, don't go to America. I know. Well, we, we, we were in New York recently. We walked That's everywhere. Hours and hours and hours. That's another good one. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> um, we've been to Taiwan, mm. Thailand, India. Japan's really great for walking. Yeah. Um, yeah, we get out as much as we can. There's where, where we've moved to, we moved because it has great walks. Like we've got um, the sea in front of us and it's really lo- lovely walking oh, nice. along it. And then behind us is um, rolling hills, which are really, really mm. beautiful. Yeah, we get out as much as we as much as we can, which is admittedly not, not too much anymore with the, with the kid. But like I said, he's getting a bit older and we're planning, fingers crossed, to go to Japan in the next couple of weeks. Oh, nice. Um, and I'm sure we'll be walking tons then. Yeah, where in Japan are you going to go? Tokyo. We'd like to go. I'd like to go back to Kyoto and Osaka too, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. It really depends on it really depends on our son and like mm-hmm. how he takes the, the flight and, and, and all that. Yeah, that is true. That's a that's a 12 hour yeah. flight, at least for me. I don't know how it is for you. Yeah, I think it's 14. It used to be it used to be around 12, I think, but because of the like Russian airspace being closed, it's, it's a bit longer. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I just go across America over the ocean. Wow. Yeah. Well, yes, I, I just I just recently went to Tokyo and um I don't know if I've said it. I'll just say it one more time just because. But uh as soon as I got back, because I went with my fiance and she wanted to go, she was pushing for going to Kyoto and Osaka as well as Tokyo. And I was like, Well, mm-hmm. you know, Tokyo's really big. I didn't before, so I was like, we can we can spend all like seven days in Tokyo and I promise you won't get bored. And we did, and she didn't. 
But then as soon as I got back, I started getting these reels on Instagram, just like top five places in Japan. They were all in Kyoto and Osaka. And I was sending them to her and she's like, stop sending these to me. Like, this doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> we missed out on a lot. So now I have to go back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's definitely on my list, but it's a wonderful place. Yeah, it's amazing. We spent a few weeks there like a few years ago and we went to all those places and it was really, really great. And really really different in all of those different places i do mm-hmm. really like tokyo it was it is really lovely um but because it often becomes work it's very like going to this shop and then going to that shop and then going to that shop kyoto was kyoto and osaka there was there was like we did it, we, i guess we chat, we had a bit more of a challenge and we did a lot a lot more stuff um the food is a bit more of a challenge for katie and i because we're vegans but oh. everything else is great yeah yeah it sounds like it yeah lots of uh meat lots of, lots of seafood there yeah there's just fish sauce and everything like something would be yeah. vegan other than it's got fish sauce in it or something mm. and then you have to try to communicate in that language that you just don't want the sauce yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice um talk about i mean you've already talked about the future you've already led yourself in there is there anywhere else that you like to go besides japan in the near future for trees related activities or, um, or far future who knows dream a little um i just saw that um this is also japan but it's also fresh in my memory that um someone someone posted this morning about a hike that they did and it was called something 88 um, and it was in Japan and then I looked it up and it looked amazing. It was like a, it was a trail that was, um, that, that visits different monasteries, like a long, 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 long multi-day hike. You go from monastery to monastery and it was, I think it follows a trail that monks used to do. Um, mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. I think we have to wait for our kid to go to, like to go to university <laughs> before we did that. Um, no, I mean the, the the most future trees related thing mm. that is on that is like on our plate is that me and Katie are looking to move deeper into the countryside as soon mm. as we can to live nice. among the trees. So <laughs> that's kind of what we're working up to at the moment. Very nice. The hike is called Shikoku eighty eight for anyone. Mm. It's a pilgrimage, yeah. like you said. The monks walked it. Yeah, pilgrimage across Japan. Or at least mounds of Japan. Yeah. Very cool stuff. Just looking at Google images right now of gravestones and Tory gates and stuff like that. Yeah, we I love stuff like that. There's there's some like monks trails that Katie and I have done in South Asia mm. and they're always like amazing. And we're always exhausted at the end of it. And then <laughs> we'd find out that it was something that that a monk would do twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> So is there anything else you'd like to talk about in this tree section or can we move on? Um, no, I think so. Sweet. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about moving on to the nylon section, how you got into fashion, getting dressed, all that stuff. Um, I was, I don't know how I got into fashion. I just always had like clothes. Kate, my, my, my mom said that my mom said I'd always like clothes. I think that the way she tells it is that, um, we didn't really have that much money growing up. And um, all of our clothing would come from charity stores, so secondhand. And that she'd let me choose whatever I wanted, and I would always get really into it. I think that something about that must have got me excited. Um, Mm -hmm. And then um, 
while I was at university, I had um, got a job working for a fashion magazine, which is now defunct, mm. but really, really enjoyed working there. And that was where I, I was like, okay, cool. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so it got me, it made me feel like I could be a fashion journalist. So yeah. that was kind of what I was working towards, but it was during the recession and that magazine went under and I couldn't get a job anywhere else and there was no jobs going. Um, so I went to go and learn how to teach English abroad and I went to go teach English mm. abroad. Um, and then I was in between, I was in Vietnam Oh wow! and I was going to, I was going to uh, South Korea and I came home to see my parents mm-hmm. and see my friends. And I went to a house party with my friend and then I met Katie and then just, it was just like, we just fell in love and started story. And Katie had, um, Katie did like a different path. She was, um, she studied to be a fashion designer and mm. then she worked for, for, for brands. And then at the time I met her, she was working at a trend forecasting agency. Ah. Um, and then we met and then I, that's the first I heard about trend forecasting and I started doing that too for, uh, for a while and alongside us starting story. And, uh, yeah always just into i was always into crafts and art because dad's an artist and katie's mum is an artist and we so I, I guess we both sort of had that in the mix and so when we started the story we, we had like aligned interests and um yeah that was that's basically it. everything else we've like every, we, i've learned a lot on like with i've learned a lot developing story and katie's learned a lot mm-hmm. developing story too but we kind of brought different different strict strengths and skills okay and how did you learn how to design because i know you work with fashion magazine but did you did you learn how to design there or was that self-taught i don't always i don't know i I suppose it it kind of it's a question of semantics because it depends what you mean by design like some people are designers and all they do is like show a picture of a jacket and say, and tell, tell a factory to make that. And some people are designers and they like draw something, then make a, then make a toile of it and then make a sample and then agonize over it and pin it and <laughs> cut pattern cut it and stuff. Mm. Um, we've just learned the skills that we need as we went with, with story specifically. Um, we, the first thing we made, it was, was a, was a jeep was like a pair of jeans Mm-hmm. And we just worked out how to get it pattern cut, worked out how to how what we wanted and source trims and put it together. Um the technical aspects of designing Katie has, like being able to CAD and make a tech pack and oh, wow. knowing like having some having the basic skills and well, basic and advanced skills to do all that kind of stuff. Um but I guess what I wouldn't I've heard people talk about designers if it's sort of this like unassailable skill set, but mm. really anybody can anybody is can put it together. I think it just would be a little bit slower. But um, I don't think it's like oil painting. Like people, some someone, <laughs> some mm. people can do it, and some people will never be able to do it. I think that if you if you have it in your will, if you have the will to get a jacket made, you'll you can find a way to get it made in your in your along along looking the way you want it to look tell me a little bit about like the process of you finding designs for story um there's a few different ways but but like 
the usual the usual genesis of a product is that we'll have a vintage garment that we want to remake and we'll design a fabric sometimes based on the vintage garment sometimes not mm-hmm. and we'll send the vintage garment off to get a pattern from and then we'll remake that garment the thing mm. the 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 thing that i like most about story is the is like is finding something vintage and iconic like like this yeah. jacket that i'm wearing now which is like a denim jacket from the 40s and then mm-hmm. remaking it one for one but by hand so the mm. pattern is exactly the same but the denim is hand is a hand woven version of the denim that it was. So mm-hmm. the end result is like a wobbly, well, wobbly clone of the original. <laughs> um, that's kind of what we're always going for. But sometimes it's a bit more developed. Sometimes we like another way. Another genesis is sometimes we'll have an item that we've made in the past, and then we'll add something to that or change it somehow or fuck about with a fit or something yeah but in general everything starts as a vintage item that we um reinterpret and like yeah yeah i mean it's like it's a lot easier to describe now that like all the marvel movies (laughs) are out everyone everyone's got an understanding of what like or like a passing understanding of what like a multiverse is but (laughs) the i've always we've always seen it as like okay we want to what would what would this kind of coke look like if if they if it was in an alternative universe where mm. the the main the main aesthetic was a story aesthetic, it would just like be wobbly and yeah. hand, a handmade version. And that's um that's kind of our point of view. Like if we get a jacket and it's got embroidery on it and it's vintage, we'll like pull it into the story world and we'll completely remake it. But instead of the machine the embroidery being done by the machine, we'll do it by hand and it's just like very slightly bizarro version of the original. Mm-hmm. Well, I really like it. I love all the designs, all the different, the color palette, especially is just, you know, right up my alley, but yeah. designs oh, as well. Yeah. I mean, the color is, the color is something special, like talking about like the intersection of trees and nylon. We <laughs> are two people mm-hmm. and we, well, there's more of us in the company now, but like we, we designed something um, and we say we want it to look like whatever. Um, that's kind of half the story. We have to work with what nature gives us because the stuff isn't made with natural materials and it's naturally dyed. So this jacket, I can't really tell my terrible camera, but it, <laughs> it's supposed to be, we might have wanted it to be like a very dark indigo, but mm-hmm. because of the dyes on that day and the soil and the pH and everything, it might be like a more purpley indigo or more bluey indigo mm. or lighter or uneven. So um, nature is kind of a... 50 50 partner on everything that we do just in the same way that um that it is for people who make what natural wines or any kind of wine and beer and that kind of stuff like there's an understanding that you do everything the same every single time but you get different results um mm. and the colors are all colors from nature so we end up not having anything like harsh and the other interesting thing and i've said it a lot and i not not everyone agrees but i but i think that nature doesn't ever have any any like massive clashes in terms of color everything mm-hmm. always looks beautiful and natural together like even if you've got like a bright color next to a dark color like they always sit together really really beautifully and really naturally and it makes you mm-hmm. feel makes me feel really at home um but in a world where you can have any color you want for any jacket or anything then 
you, you can kind of fuck it up. But when you're working with a natural palette, almost everything goes together. Sometimes yeah. you make decisions about two colors not going together, but it's never it's never because they don't look nice together. It'll be for like other reasons, like we don't put red and green together, even though they look really beautiful. And red and green goes together beautifully on our apple, but red and green together because of because of the world we live in looks like Christmas. Yeah, it's like looks like a Christmas thing. <laughs> yeah, or um, yeah, or other things. But mm-hmm. it is it so it gives us like a really beautiful framework, and the co- color is. Katie was always saying that the color is the most important decision that we can make um, about anything. And working with nature on colors is like it's not. It's like having an as much as it's like having shackles. It's also like having an extra pair of helping hands. Mm-hmm. Very nice, very nice. Um, just a couple things as I'm scrolling through your Instagram looking for questions to ask you. Uh, first, <laughs> just a comment I have is the houseboat adventure that <laughs> it looks like that you guys had. Um, tell me a little bit about why you decided to use that as your as your store it seems yeah we we didn't get a shop because it would be too expensive Mm -hmm. uh and it and we didn't really have that much of a following it was just trying to think of ways to engage with people and like what our point of view was we have we the brand that we have couldn't have existed 10 or 15 years ago it, it mm-hmm. can exist now because of the internet and Instagram and being able and like having time for storytelling. And the reality of that is that we sell to a niche of people who are interested in the same kind of things we are and the same kind of style we are. Yeah. Um, and we can speak to them now because even though it's a niche of people and, and it's a niche of people that are spread across the entire globe, um, having, the internet kind of brings them means that we can speak to them in one place. But mm-hmm. when it comes to physical retail, uh, being in London, even though London's a major city, like I don't know how many percentage of our customers were in London at that time, but mm-hmm. I would say we have like less than 10%. Most of our customers are in Japan at the time of the houseboat, but we oh, couldn't well. live in Japan. Um, <laughs> Just and take it would be like 2 million. Japan. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we were just, we're just always experimenting with like how to have a retail space. So we're like, okay, we can afford to get this houseboat. It was in a terrible state. Uh, and the way that those houseboats are in the UK, there are people who've got permanent uh, mooring, but mm. most people don't because it's really rare. There's only a few, they're usually grandfathered between people. So you've got to move it every two weeks. We're like, how cool would it be to have a shop that people could visit and buy stuff, but we'd have to tell them where we are when they want mm-hmm. to come visit. And we would just send people a drop in. Um, and it worked really well. It was really nice. Before that, we had nowhere. Um, so then we had somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I guess it was kind of a field of dreams type situation. We were like, let's just see who comes. And I don't know how many businesses we had, maybe 50 in total. <laughs> but wow. I feel like we speak to every single one of them still. We met like mm. one of our best friends on there. The third or fourth visitor was a, was a, a someone who founded a store in the UK called LNCC, who came to meet us um, with a, with a girl with another buyer from there to talk to us about putting together a collection for them because they wanted to do this. Um, they wanted to have like more sustainable brands on there, and that mm-hmm. got us wholesaling and kind of what kind of got us moving as a brand to be mm-hmm. the size that we are now. Um, 
so yeah, it was it was really it was really cool. We've kind of got the same vibe now with our shop here in Brighton because Brighton's really out of the way for most people. So you have to come see us in the same way that like if you're in Japan, if you want to go to see Capital, like Cap is kind of out of the way a little, a little bit. Like you have to make yeah. a, a pilgrimage again. You kind of have to make a little bit of a pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Um, same for us here in Brighton. You kind of have to come out of your way. Very few people live in Brighton. Um, of our customers so yeah very nice also i'm i'm really hoping that this last slide is a arrested development bit where you blew yourself oh yeah and then never knew it's wonderful it's wonderful yeah. it's nice <laughs> to see you. a fellow arrested development fan there's not a lot of us out there uh yeah i'm a fan up until like the modern ones i saw like a yeah. couple of the episodes of the ones that we do but no i, I really hate it. to be that Definitely person too I want, i'm like yeah, it did fall off it's such a shame yeah yeah well there was like production stuff and there were actor troubles i don't know it had a good run though you know yeah. it had a good run nothing yeah. can end perfectly well most things can end perfectly no. yeah more about how you dress now i don't know it's just like we've already talked about it right i don't know is there anything else you want to add about it uh well i guess when the way i dress me, me and kate we both just really like vintage shapes Mm-hmm. Um, but we like there's a dress there's a, like a dress this like an influence of like Japanese styling that we both are really really into and I, it was something we've been into for ages because they've got they've got people in Japan and Germany have got a smaller frame and mm-hmm. in in America and anywhere else you sort of like size the clothing for the frame but in Japan they kind of go the opposite way so we sell like bigger stuff to japan than we sell in the west and really? like yeah and we i just love that we, we both love that silhouette that kind of makes you look sort of like egg shaped like a line like mm-hmm. like look shorter and wider um, yeah. i'm not a particularly tall person myself and i just we just love how that looks um and that's a and so when we're talking about vintage, like I'm ne- never actually sure when people talk, talk about being a vintage inspired because like what we what we're talking about, we're talking about the nineties, two thousands, sixties, seventies, eighties. Um, but for us, we like we're really into like forties and fifties stuff, but like made big. Because if you actually get any forties or fifties gear, it's usually teeny tiny and really, really cropped. Mm-hmm. Um, um and then the other so other kind of vintage stuff we like is vintage outdoors stuff um like specifically vintage patagonia um especially in chonard equipment stuff so a lot of the there's quite a lot of vintage patagonia pieces that are in the collection that um or even patterns so there's like a spiral pattern on a pair of um old baggies that we block printed and hand wove and have done so much with um like reinterpreted for the story world and then of course we've got like a We've got an item that's called a polite pullover, which is mm-hmm. really, really similar to a snap tee, which was, uh, oh yeah, which you're wearing, right. And so that shape is, the genesis of that shape is that that used to be like a British rugby shirt that Patagonia yeah. made into their snap tee. And then like we're like <laughs> pulling, and then like we're like dragging it further along. And I love that kind of, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love I love that era, that like 90, 80s and 90s era of Patagonia stuff where not everything is completely waterproof and like mm-hmm. over-engineered <laughs> for the outdoors. 
and yeah. like all of that like the trousers are just just wide and the tops yeah. are just big and long uh and like this this like um i'm wearing this rugby shirt which is based on rugby sh- like a climbing rugby shirt that patagonia had which was based on a rugby shirt from some scottish mill mm-hmm. um and the attitude to like being outdoors wasn't that you had to be like wearing four layers of gore-tex and a merino wool base thermal layer, base layer. Yeah. like you could just go out and like a yeah like people would go and wear just like a big pair of shorts and a baggy t-shirt and go climbing mm-hmm. it that's that kind of influences all around all of our style too so we we have like a very outdoorsy vibe for the for the brand but none mm-hmm. of it is performance stuff um in the in the modern sense it performs yeah. really well and it's lovely to go for a like walk in but but yeah it's not um not waterproof or showerproof or, or any of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that's okay because like you said like that old era Trinard equipment patagonia stuff was literally just him buying wholesale rugby shirts that he liked for climbing mm-hmm. and then just like stitching a mm-hmm. logo on it and selling them to people because they're like they, they you know they climb really well so just buy them even though they're not yeah, designed they're for this tough. yeah yeah and they were tough and they worked and like modern day patagonia even though i also like modern day patagonia i don't really buy much but that same Maybe. top would be like really narrow fitting and I don't know, actually, bad example, because they still make a lot of just, like, normal cotton stuff. Yeah. And they don't take it, like, as seriously as, like, I would say some brands and consumers do where... Name um, the consumers. Go ahead. Name some people you know that take it way too seriously. I don't really have a problem with it. I I think... I think I have more of a problem with people who are like, are you really going to go hiking in an Arcteryx thing? Like, I have more of a problem about, like, (laughs) the people gatekeeping in general. Uh But... um. But I also I also find it find it a bit funny where we when people are like oh I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy that because it's not waterproof or something like I, I live in England one of the rainiest places in the fucking world I don't have a waterproof yeah. jacket I get, oh, really? I've got by fine yeah I don't I don't need it I, I, if it's if it's so torrential mm-hmm. that that I need a, a jacket that is that it's like high performance and it's been tested in the wind tunnel i will go i will walk a different day i'll just do something on another time <laughs> i'll just do something different <laughs> i'll just choose yeah i'll just be like okay we're playing board games today or i'm going to play ps5 uh-huh. um not everybody has the same lifestyle as me uh uh-huh. but but yeah that's that's generally how i feel like we've got, i don't know i think it is a general i think it is a common phrase but just in case it isn't like the idea of a fair weather a fair weather whatever like people call, call people fair weather friend like i'm a very mm-hmm. fair weather outdoors person if it's yeah. really 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 cold mm-hmm. i will we'll probably just do something else <laughs> yeah smart man yeah smart man yeah because i <laughs> i've been i've been camping in sub-zero not sub-zero but below freezing temperatures quite often not quite often a few times and it's just not a good time mm-hmm. they, it's type two fun you know it's you wake up in the morning you're freezing and then by the time you're eating breakfast you're like that was a good experience to have with my friends and if i was alone i would have mm-hmm. left you know <laughs> something like that yeah yeah and i'm just not that i'm I, me and katie and we're just not those types of people that really enjoy that kind of challenge i know a lot of people do and that, that's mm-hmm. cool but um it's just <laughs> not my it's just not my not my not my vibe but yeah there is a it is it is weird it is funny i mean there there's there's like a slew of people who buy like ultralight 
hiking gear and then mm-hmm. put like a 17 inch backpack in it and <laughs> take it to work it's just it's just like a slightly yeah. slightly ridiculous they're just cosplayers yeah i don't have a problem i mean i guess it's being outdoors is <clears throat> and having an affinity with outdoors is so um it's so lovely and it's so luxury mm-hmm. and so I, I get why people would want it. It's just like if you if you're into the, if you trying to convince yourself that you to go to the gym, you sometimes buy really expensive stuff when really you could just go in and you roll track pants. Go to the so gym. I, I do yeah. I do fully get it. But as people who are making clothing, like we get challenged quite a lot from other from people and stores. So like, well, we really need you to be making. Who ask us to make like winter gear? Oh, really? But as yeah, but we yeah, but we can't do it without without changing something fundamentally about the brand mm-hmm. um we could make wool jackets but we'd have to then it wouldn't then it wouldn't be vegan we could make yeah. waterproof stuff um but it would it would involve some kind of some kind of um toxic material some that we don't want to compromise <laughs> yeah some yeah. kind of exactly dark compromise is good I mean, the furthest we can really go with it is making wax jackets or something. But mm-hmm. when, you, when you're as granular as we get, even the wax is made of petrol mm. and and um, you're left with like two, two, two different natural waxes that we could use, one being beeswax, which we can't really use, and the other one being soy wax, which is great and we have used it before, but it doesn't have very long-lasting performance mm. you have to re-wax like very often so then like is it really a good product yeah 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 it goes round and round in circles understandable mm-hmm. nice um something i wanted to touch on while we're talking about this the item that introduced me to story mfg as i'm sure it did for a, for a few people in the scene is this reebok collab that you had mm-hmm. so tell me a little bit about it that how it came to be the process of designing it how much influence did you have over it everything um in general collabs start off being like you have 100 influence and you can do whatever you want and then uh-huh. get chipped away until you have like well we still have full influence because we have like we designed and we designed it and it went exactly how we wanted in the end but the amount mm-hmm. of stuff that you were able to do shrinks so we worked we had to work with what they the materials the material suppliers and stuff that they have and they work with for completely understandable reasons because Mm -hmm. um being a big brand they as they should they have to um audit and make sure there's no yeah bad stuff going on in their supply chain um so yeah we did i mean we designed we had yeah we designed it all um at that time, we we made it at crew and undyed because at the time we were like really, 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 really heavily focused on naturally dyeing everything. Yeah, um, and we just couldn't we couldn't naturally dye stuff with them, mm. um, or well, we couldn't naturally dye stuff with our suppliers. So we made this shoe that was at crew. Like, I, I think we were like ahead of a trend that also seemed to happen. Like Stussy came out with a Nike, um, yeah, collab that was also canvas. Like. Mm-hmm. irritatingly like a month before we released ours <laughs> um i'm sure like uh, not, not at all that we were influenced by each other because we wouldn't be seen each other's work but um there's a lot of stuff that came out 
that was like on a similar vibe, which is nice, I guess. Um, so we did the club C because it was that iconic thing. Yeah. We were like, what would a club C look like if we, if we did it for ourselves? And that's, that's kind mm-hmm. of where we got to. And then the beatnik was a shoe that we, we loved. It was at that time, it's more widely distributed now, but at the time it was like a Japan only thing. Um, oh, really? Yeah. And they were just, bringing it back like in a small way and we designed that puffy version a bit um and it must have been a hit because they made like several versions of this of our of our design afterwards which they <laughs> asked us if it was okay and, it, and we said it was um yeah i'm not sure what else to say about it, it was a- absolutely agonizing and took two years um <laughs> not agonizing because they were bad agonizing because we'd never designed a shoe before but yeah um yeah takeaways from that were like wow it takes a long time to mm-hmm. to to work with others wow and so you you brought the beatnik back to the western world allegedly uh not us it was <laughs> a comp like a compliment of brands like they they mm-hmm. we, we we uh dan who worked with us on gentlefulness um he was talking to leo who worked at reebok at the time and um there was like some like soft would you guys like to work together? We'd like to work with you. And uh, I remember having a discussion with Dan, like it'd be so good to do Beatnik. And they were bringing back the Beatnik or bring over the Beatnik. Mm. Um, so I think that, I think that Braindead did it with them first in the West. It was all sort of at the same like time, but all like staggered reefs. I got Braindead, Palace, uh, I think Pleasures, Needles, uh yeah there was a bunch and they continue to to keep doing it very nice stuff um you mentioned gentlefulness which i had heard of but i wasn't quite sure what it was and now i look at Mm -hmm. the bio it says it's a new brand from story mfg uh (laughs) talk to me a little bit about that um story is uh grown up and Mm -hmm it has sort of like found its style and knows what it's doing and it continues to be like an exploration of the same themes and stuff. And that's really, really cool. And we love it and we don't really want to change. Um, but we also wanted to like try some other new stuff. Like, like I said, stories so focused on natural dyes, um, both like for two reasons. One is because of, um, because of like, like quick reasons of art, like it's such high art, and mm. um we want to keep doing that supporting it and the other one is sustainability like the way yeah. we naturally dye stuff not all natural dyeing but the way we do it is very ecocentric mm-hmm. um but there are other dyeing techniques and modern technologies and stuff that are just as or more ecocentric centric than natural dyeing but to bring those into story kind of feels like mixing mixing up mixing two languages together um so at some point it just felt like okay we've got we've got a lot of stuff that we want to design that feels like a different like it's the same almost the same brand but like it's like a sister of this brand so mm-hmm. it's that it's it's like a sister to story that is the same designers plus we work with Dan the same sort of vibe but a slightly different a slightly different creative direction so it's a good question uh and people mm-hmm. ask it all the time but i'm still not sure what it is i think that okay. in the same way that i wasn't sure we weren't sure what story was and then it we found it we 
gentleness the same. It's just like a sister to your story. There's there's that there's a there's that there's a brand called Nepenthes, which you probably know yeah. and lots of people know, but but maybe not everyone does. But they have several brands in their stable. There's needles, engineered garments, mm-hmm. um what else is there? There's uh South to West Eight. There's, they've got like a bunch of brands and not no one of them is like much more expensive or much cheaper. They're not like sub brands of each other. They're all yeah. the same. It's like a collective. They're, they're, yeah. It's like, a, it's like a stable of different horses and they're all, mm-hmm. they're just all different, but the same. And that's kind of how I see story and gentleness and then like other projects. We've actually had other brands before that have come and gone. Mm. Um, I see the future of story in like ten years being like, a, a, like a similar sort of thing. Having like lots of different siblings, one might be like stories, kind of like as you said, kind of like hippieish, luxury, crafty, and then if gentleness is like a bit more streety, yeah, um, serious, and then there might be another one. At one point, we had this brand we were working on called slow tech which was all performance fabrics like very high oh. performance like nat like eco versions of um gore-tex and eco versions of um uh what's that super lightweight stuff called dyneema like eco mm. versions of dyneema like it was all that and we might have so yeah but but that wouldn't really fit the story just the rules that story lives by so it kind of has to be a separate brand um so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what that is. Nice. So I'm thinking next up you do menswear. So you start doing suits. And then after that, like <laughs> after that, I think like if you're looking for a little bit more money, what you do is you start following Shein trends and you just like start making Shein clothes. Probably oh, this is good. Repurposed, uh, repurposed Shein is probably the best thing you could do. So it's like, yo, we're being sustainable, yeah. but you're using the Shein clothes and then you're just like turning it into a uh, new Shein clothes and you're just starting that. And then probably just like sell your soul to like some corporate entity and become a billionaire. And uh that'd probably be good. That's yeah, how you I end up. With, that's how you end I could do with some billions. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what was next. I mean, he said doing suits is a joke, but and it is cool. a joke. I don't no, think I'd ever do that. Cool. But but who knows? You never know. I mean, I've got. I really. I never wear a suit. I mean, so probably not. But yeah, maybe there's <laughs> Katie. There's some some stores have been asking us recently about doing bridal stuff and oh nice bridal as in wedding, not not horses. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Katie made her own wedding dress, so we're like, well, we ask. could just make that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Very nice. Um, I guess we can move on to your viewer questions now, which you have a few of. First of all, um, oh man, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's a plant. It is a plant name. Mm-hmm. Aracia? Aracia? I don't know. Addict. What's the question? They would like to know, uh, what is your greatest source of inspiration from the natural environment that translates to your clothing? Oh, I thought the question was about plant. You're saying that you know, no, 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 that is the, um, that is the name of the person who wrote the question. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's our greatest inspiration, uh, from nature? Yes. Specifically. Well, I think that we'd have to say nature's palette, the, 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 the colors that nature provides. Okay. This, it's constant and unending inspiration we there there's there's never a there's never 
never anything more exciting than like get, managing to like make a new color. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked much about natural dyeing, but I was yeah, I wanted to ask have, about that. So well, every basically everything is naturally dyed from story currently. It was never supposed to be, and maybe and and but that's where we are. Um, mm-hmm. We have a bunch of colors. We can only really get a certain amount of colors, and yeah. Purple, for example, is like extremely difficult, or it actually just was not possible for us to get. Um, and we recently were able to get purple, and now mm. uh, loads of our stuff is purple. <laughs> <laughs> like, so Can't that's really inspiring. Bit. And as soon as like, no, yeah, as soon as purple is unlocked as a color, <laughs> it's like a very, in terms of the word inspiration, it's like a very pure line between the two things. Like suddenly, like everything's purple, and we're really inspired by purple, and everything's and. <laughs> purple is everything so yeah nature's palette is 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 probably the most important most inspiring thing from nature how do you get that brown how do you get the brown that you always use you in the mud you picking up mud or is it something different (laughs) yeah uh the brown that we always use no that's not from mud but brown that we've used in the past was from mud we had like a mud dyed it was not 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 from mud that one was from like a tree bark that would dye Mm. it that would create like a yellow and then the something well the iron in the mud would react with it and turn it brown but the current mud that we make the sorry current brown is from um from an acacia tree bark and it has that really dark deep 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 brown which mm-hmm. i love and which is also used for medicinal purposes oh nice um besides the purple what is another color that was like sought after that you had to like become a scientist to get um <clears throat> black and oh. khaki but and they're really? both the same our black is actually it's invisible to the naked eye but it's actually extremely dark dark green mm. um and the black and our the black and khaki and by khaki i mean olive I, okay and i think in america like khaki is more like a sand color but yeah it's um, like it's yeah, a brown. The olive, <clears throat> yeah the olive color that we have is um it's actually like yellow with gray on top but it reads this olive to the eye and then the, those are really really hard mm. to get but they're such classic menswear colors mm-hmm. um that becoming a scientist is 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 what it is like um the people we work with to do natural dyeing it's a guy who, who founded the the place he's always talking about how we had like way better technology in the past for natural dyeing yeah. Um, and that what we are basically doing now is like trying to trying to rediscover that old technology in the same way mm-hmm. that the the Romans invented concrete and then that 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 technology was lost for a thousand years or whatever it was, and then it was rediscovered. And even now we've only just discovering how the Romans made concrete and that it was better and more than than not what we have now. So we'd researching all the time. The purple that we have, to be clear, like we there used to be there used to be a purple that was very famous in the west that was from a type of sea slug Snail. Um, yeah or sea slug yeah yeah and it was um so highly sought after that it would that they that they hunted those um creatures to extinction um and then there's another purple that is widely used in asia that is from lac which is in it which is a, a reaction that a tree has with an insect so we don't use it because it has insects in it so it's not vegan mm. um so we had to like make a make a version of that using plants um which is which is really terribly difficult 
but it was really great and it was like a very 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 long and expensive research project but now we have it beautiful to my microphone just died so i probably sound super different now but uh just letting everyone know that just, just happened very slightly it is what it is i'll get a new cord next time i record but whatever Stormfit actually asked two questions. The first question from them is <laughs> it's not it's a it's a statement from them. They say, consider the profound effect that clothing could have on the next generation. No pressure. That's that's a statement. And then the question is, if you could if you had to design a primary school outfit for the whole of the UK, what would your angle be? That's a fun one. Oh man primary school outfit yeah what would it look like the whole of the uk people that have to go outside in the rain sometimes what would you do well i don't, I don't think that uh, your primary school outfits uh, i don't think they've changed massively since i was a kid i think they're usually gray trousers and a white shirt and then sometimes if your school's a bit fancy you'd have like a colored blazer on mm -hmm. top um i have no idea I have no idea. That is a great question, but I guess the question is basically designing uniform, and I'm really not at all into uniforms, and I absolutely hated wearing a uniform at school, and I very much feel like clothing is um, the reason. I think the reason that people that uniform exists is to is to take away personality and individuality and that kind of stuff, and and having a uniform and school like all the worst parts of school are the, are the parts that prepare you for becoming a subservient person in the workforce so, and uniform is part of that but then then again mm. like i got bullied so relentlessly at school and um i know that i also know that uniform is like supposed to be a deterrent against that because you're not you know rich or poor everyone sort of looks the same so i get it from both things i think that um this might be a bit of a this might be a, a bit of a bougie thing a bougie thing to say but <laughs> i might make I, I i i guess i would make something i guess we would make something that was at crew and that you could that people that, that people at school would die themselves using oh. natural materials mm -hmm. And in the UK, the, over the last couple of decades, there's been a lot of talk about a lot of people sinking a lot of energy into the kind of food that you would get served at school because it was it really is absolute trash and bad for your brain and created really unhealthy relationships with food where people didn't know. And mm. a lot of people are putting effort into like making, helping people at school like learn about cooking and where food comes from and that kind of stuff and if and i feel like if we knew a bit more about where clothing comes from and how it's dyed and that kind of stuff that it might mm -hmm. be helpful um might be nice and people could then i guess everybody would wear, be wearing the same silhouettes and the same clothing but would be able to choose the colors and and be able to dress like have a bit feel a bit more personality that way might end up looking a bit culty but <laughs> I guess as long as it isn't actually a cult, it's fine. There's yeah, that. Um, we've got a um, we've got a part of story called Story NFG Roots, mm. which is all very plain dyed stuff. And I think maybe it would be a bit like that. 
I like that idea. I like the idea of having a uniform, but being able to customize it, I think is nice. You know, being able yeah. to add something. Yeah, being to able to. Yeah, I would. My, if it was up to us, uniform would have all that stuff, and also there would be a lesson often that was about textiles and clothing, and you'd be able to, you'd be able to to work on your uniform and embroider it and add patches and all that kind of stuff. It's very cool. I like to go to that school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, same. Here we go. Jungle Zane would like to know: In the early days of your career, did you face any? external judgment or internalized stigma about what you were doing yeah uh several things one being that with you when you start a brand you Mm -hmm. if you're not a known person if you're not pharrell or whatever then people (laughs) don't take you seriously okay so um when we when we started actually me and katie both used pseudonyms and some people in japan still call me bobbin which is the the fake name i made up yeah, I just didn't want someone to search my name and then just see a bunch of like terribly written blog posts and my LinkedIn, which showed I had like a really bad, really like spotty work history, or search mm. Katie and see that she had done like design work for a high street brand when she was younger. And like, I just didn't want to be judged on our thing. So we made mm. up these names that would show nothing so that it was a blank slate. But also, um, where katie was working at the time wouldn't allow you to have like a side business so it also protected us from that um and then we continue to get judgment for stuff like there's something that is that puts people's backs up about people trying to better themselves so when we talk about making a brand that has like some kind of virtuous edge even if the virtuous edge is just as simple as using natural materials and working with working with craftspeople yeah. talking to other people in the industry kind of get they kind of could be like oh you know that's not that good because they kind of kind of kind of try and take you down um yeah so we get that I, that's one of the weirdest things about being here and now like being all this time and having some history is that we don't get judged the way we used to i don't know if judge is the right word but we used to get taken really unseriously. Interestingly, like people we knew took us the least seriously. They were like, oh yeah, that's just Saeed's brand. Um, like any, any, anyone that we knew that worked at a store, we were like, I'd be so good to be in that store. We, they never took us seriously because they're just like some dude that they know. Um, yeah. I think we could, I, I think if I had a longer time to think about it, I could, I could, I could go through all of the grudges I still hold. Uh, <laughs> from people judging us and treating us treating us pretty shit pretty shittily at the beginning mm-hmm. um but yeah well thank you for going to that therapy <laughs> session with me <laughs> thank you for that yeah, uh during it during your speech you mentioned pharrell as he's top of mind right now because he was just announced the mm-hmm. career director of louis vuitton what are your opinions on that mm-hmm. uh, i have zero opinion <laughs> i've got no idea like i don't really in the in the in the most plain and nicest, not bad way possible, but I don't really care <laughs> about I don't really care about Pharrell and I don't care about Louis Vuitton. Okay. Uh, they're like mm-hmm. neither of my worlds. But the reason I mention it is just because I've seen people like on both sides like have an opinion mm-hmm. and one being like, why is there why is why is why are we in an age of celebrity designers instead of like actual things? designers? And then other people being like he's got he's got loads of experience. I don't really know anything. Yeah, I don't yeah. really know. Okay. 
my hot anything take about that, it. My hot take is that he's got loads of experience, but I don't think it's great experience. I don't think I don't think BBC Ice Cream is a, a good brand, and he just seems to be a, a name. You know what I mean? Instead of it's like, oh look, it's Pharrell. Remember him from Adidas Club and other brand and Bape when it was popular? Like, I don't know. It just seems a little strange. Yeah, he's not really a designer. But, you know, he's a he's just an artist. But he he's is. Not, he's not known but for he designing. Is like, so from the little that I know about him, he does he does really under as far as I know, he does he lives that lifestyle. Like he lives the luxury brand lifestyle. Like he wears a two or three million dollar Richard Mille watch and wears Tiffany Moogle inspired sunglasses and he like gets he gets the customer base, which I think it probably speaks, probably does a lot. And I don't know. I mean, I, those kinds of, those kind of brands, the people that buy those brands, they, they tend to, they tend to move with, mm-hmm. with, with the wind a lot more than other places do. So it'll be that whatever, whatever his vibe is, it becomes, becomes the vibe. He doesn't, he just has to be authentic, which, being authentic is being like super duper rich <laughs> and, <laughs> and like having a rich, having rich taste and understanding what other super duper rich people are into. And he yeah. also has like a lived experience of being a black man his whole, his whole life. So he carries on that. He carries on a lot of the work, a lot of the same stuff that was, that was like more directional about, about um, Virgil's time there. So yeah, I'm just with, with fashion in general, people have a lot of opinions about a lot of stuff and i have very few opinions about very <laughs> very little <laughs> stuff i really don't we don't interact me and katie with the outside fashion world very much we don't we're real like outsiders and i we were always were outsiders and now we could be more insiders and we kind of i think do quite a lot to try and stay outside <laughs> of it okay. um and I've also learned to have no opinion about stuff that I don't really know anything about. I've learned that from people having an opinion about us and, and me being like, why they feel, why do people feel like they can have an opinion about stuff if they don't know about stuff? Um, like I have some, some late, some lady in LA was messaging me on Instagram about the effect of colonialism. And I'm like, why are you what are you talking about why are you talking about to me about colonialism like mm. i've lived in a country that was rabid like, that was like affected by it and yeah yeah it's yeah so i just like okay well i'm just not gonna i'm also make, gonna make sure i don't speak to anything that i don't really know a lot about cool that's fine it's fine answer <laughs> uh the last question i have is from gore-tex Moore. And they say, <clears throat> tell us more about the original shop, which you kind of did, but you didn't mention the first, like, grounded shop, not not nomadic shop. What was that like, and where was it? Uh, that was, so we had the, we had the, the boats, mm-hmm. we had two of them, and then we had a shop which we shared with another store um, called Open As Usual, and they had the upstairs, and then we had the downstairs, and then we kind of shared the foyer area. The idea of that place was um was to 
turn it into like a little mini die house. And mm-hmm. I guess I'm consistent because it's very similar to this uniform thing. We, the idea was that we'd have it as like a mini die house and that people could bring their old clothing to us and that we would naturally dye it and kind of like give it new life and mm-hmm. re-luxurify it. There's this concept of a Lazarus pit. I, I think it's in like, I mean, Batman talks about it a lot of this. Like one of Batman's yeah. main enemies, Ra's al Ghul, it's like yeah. this pit that you can go into and then become young again. Like the dye vats always feel like that when you put something into a dye vat <laughs> and it gets re-dyed. It like kind of gives it this new life. So we had it as like a little dye place. Uh, and then we also had our collection now. Yeah, and you like started it was cool. we did of like assassins around the Lazarus pit. And <laughs> <laughs> it was the whole thing. Yeah, I don't think I'd be very good at that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but we only had that, I think, I don't know how long it was. I think it was like nine months or so. And then the the landlord decided he wanted it back. Mm. Um, and that was the last shot we had until we opened our space here. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. It, had a, it was it was cool. We did, dye, we did loads of dye workshops and did loads of dyeing and did stuff um, pretty regularly. Um, but mm. it was re- it's really hard work. Natural dyeing is... It's, it's it's tough, tough, tough work. We get asked quite a lot still about doing like natural dye workshops and stuff, and I'm I'm never doing that again. It was <laughs> it was really hard work to get a, an indigo dye vat prepared for dyeing. It's like mm. ten days of work, wow. and then like and then the workshop would be like a morning, and then I'd have to like keep the vats happy in between them. It was it was tough. It was it was backbreaking. Interesting. Well, it sounds like the houseboat was like the best way to go about starting a brand like you did, because, you know, if you're just doing a brand where you're just, you know, ordering stuff, having stuff made, shipping it over a lot of, a lot of new brands these days are just doing online stores, which is fine for that. But if you were just painstakingly involved in every step of that process, it seems like you do want to have that face-to-face interaction with the customer. Like, Hey, this isn't just a jacket that is like a nice mm-hmm. color. This is all the steps that I took, you could, I think it, it really helps with the selling point also just marketing wise to be like, this is not yeah. just a jacket. <laughs> yeah. And the nice thing about the boat is that we would go to different areas all the time. That's kind yeah. of what we've lost now that we are here where people have to come to us. So the next genesis of our retail, I think is that we're going to start having more of a traveling show or oh. like going on tour more. So uh, we, we I'd love to do pop-ups the, back back when we started like the reason we did the boat and not just doing pop-ups is that there was something kind of like cheap or I don't know not not particularly like luxury about a pop-up mm-hmm. but I think that I think that that the like fever pitch of everybody doing pop-ups all the time has sort of died out and what's left the, the landscape's a little bit different now so Literally before this call, I was having a. I was talking to a, a, a the, the person who designed the rails and stuff in our store about making some kind of like traveling, traveling show version of the shop. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's that's the next move. Like that would be what I would love to do because it, the website websites are good. They're fantastic. It's like yeah, you can get a website to be as valuable as having a shop on the busiest street in the busiest mm-hmm. city like it's yeah. amazing real estate but not not me because i'm not actually 
particularly social person but lots of people love to go somewhere and speak to someone and talk to someone and go and like geek out about the details and stuff like that yeah try so it on, i want to feel it yeah i want to go to people where they meet like we could also be a brand that didn't sell to other stores it might mm-hmm. be better for us like lots of brands are like that but we would never be able to be in a store in la and a store in new york and a store in, and several stores in japan and stuff so yeah. yeah it's good it's good to be out there nice uh as a vegan i have a question what's your opinion on like a horse-drawn mm. carriage is, uh, that, is that against your morals or no yeah it would be yeah like you took really it, good care of the horse-drawn horse. carriage is a pretty like a horse-drawn carriage in the if you are amish or if you were in a remote part of the world where that mm. was the that was the that was how you got around then yeah. i would be like not it's not a vibe for me, but I get why you do it. Yeah. In the West, when it's a complete, when we've got a horse unnaturally created by inseminating another horse and then kept in a barn and then just used for its body, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into it. It's just, it's just, there's no need for it. Like that's kind of how I feel about like almost everything. That's kind of (laughs) why veganism for me was like, such an easy decision because mm-hmm. eating a steak is as is as um makes as much sense as getting on a it's going to work on a horse-drawn carriage right now like i don't I, it's so easy for me to eat something different like mm-hmm. it's so easy for me to eat something as or more nutritious in the west there's no there's no sacrifice at all for me in the same way that it's easy for me to get in an uber instead of getting a horse-drawn carriage like it's just it's just some kind of pomp and splendor to do the other thing if mm-hmm. i had a, a medical condition where i had to eat meat for example it'd be a different question but yeah every single like decision as a vegan i make and my wife makes is just i'll just i'll just do something else like it's easy mm-hmm. there are certain decisions we have to make that probably involve animal materials like there's like extreme cases like someone told me that like the tire tires on a car have got are like created so have some some something to do with animal, like like there's tallow in the mold that makes the original one whatever i don't but That's yeah <laughs> interesting no apparently they're not tires are not being made not from stearic acid derived from animal parts yeah, see, like that's oh, but Michelin unavoidable. does not use animal parts. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I would choose Michelin then. There like, it's li- like ve- veganism for me is just like making a bunch of choices. And yeah, in the West, as lucky as I, we're extremely lucky because there's thousands of choices. Mm-hmm. If I was living in, if I was living in, in northern Iraq where we don't have Beyond Meat, and I could only there's only eggs and veget- vegetation was only around for some part of the year. Then, then yeah, I don't. I certainly would never judge anyone for not being vegan. But it's yeah. so easy for me to not have any cruelty in my diet. Mm. Nice. The reason I ask the question is because you're talking about like the traveling show, and I just think about like a caravan of people <laughs> wandering through the hills of England with just like clothes attached to them. I would do that, but I would do it <laughs> drawn by a, a car or walking. Yeah, like, yeah. A Visvim. Fizzvim did that with them. Um, oh, they had really? like a, 
they had like a caravan. I think it was called the Indigo Camping Trailer. And they had like a caravan that would travel. I don't know how well traveled it was, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think it went to a few stores, maybe a few Dover streets. Last time I saw, I, I saw it in real life, and it was in the MoMA in in Japan. Oh, nice! Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. That's really fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking more like Oregon Trail, like buggy, yeah, yeah, type stuff. But <laughs> yeah. this this is also cool. This is also cool. I think if if it was to be something like that, I think camels would be more on brand for me specifically. Yeah, plan to it. That's good. Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't either. But yeah, yeah. you have to ship the camels <laughs> to England and then. Or just you know take them from the zoo and then release them into the wilderness when you're done. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how well they would do. <laughs> I don't know either, but it's an experiment. Um, it's like I was in Hawaii uh, a little while ago, and we were looking at I don't know if you're familiar, the Waimea Canyon, just big canyon. And my fiance looks at me and says, "What would happen if we just put a bear here, like a black bear?" <laughs> Because Hawaii doesn't have any really native animals at all because it's just an island that spawned out of nowhere and things haven't migrated there except for birds. And like some rodents have become native there. Um, She's like, what if we just put like a bear here in the canyon? What would happen? What would happen to everything? Or like some deer. Well, we just threw some deer in the canyon. I don't know. Well, we just put, You'd put absolutely rule it the, probably. What if we put some camels in the, in the peak district? What would happen? That's what happens. I mean, it's happened across the world. Like where you... <clears throat> There is, um, I don't know if I got, if I can remember exactly, but there's an island where, where um, I think the British chucked, like would they would have goats on this, they would have goats on their boat, and they would they put some goats on this island that was on the way to somewhere or other, and they would come back and get them, and then in the in the meantime they would obviously keep mating and stuff, and the goats completely overtook this island and killed all this native population of. I think it was turtles, apart from on the other side of the island that was broken by, that was, um, it, that they couldn't get to because of mountains. And there's so like these native, native creatures on one side of the island and then like just like loads of fucking goats on the other side of the island. Uh, in the UK, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure we've got, it's not a bear, but we've got animals over here that were brought over from other countries that are like peacocks, and um, we don't have. I don't think we've got many wild peacocks, but we've got wild pheasants that people shoot for, and mm. they're really brightly coloured, and they don't. They really suck at camouflage. And someone recently told me that that's because they're not native to this country. They were brought over from India so that they were easier to hunt. Mm. Interesting. Um, so that's pretty pretty fucked up. But I guess you'd have to have two bears to really to really so yeah, they can yeah. mate. You need two bears. Or like a wolf. I mean, or I mean, the story we're talking about is humans. Like humans have traveled everywhere and yeah. completely dominated everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Play God a little bit, you know, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, do you have any questions for me before we wrap things up here? Uh, nope. I don't think so. Awesome. Well, Saeed, thank you for coming on the podcast today, my man. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Of course, of course. Um, where can people find you on this planet and also on the internet? What's your, address? Uh, What's your home address? Instagram. I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Instagram. Well, home ad- home address. I guess is our shop. That's in Brighton, eighty-five blocks of the road. Good answer. Um, 
we don't live very far from there. So if you go there, you're probably probably going to see me anyway. We live like a couple of streets over. Um, uh, Instagram is at story MFG is the brand. And my Instagram is at side underscore story MFG. Uh, you can also email me and the brand at hi at story MFG.com. That comes to our like team in the shop, but I'm also on there. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. All righty. Well, thank you again for coming on. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. <laughs>